What's up, Dolphin fans? Welcome to the same old Dolphins show. I'm Josh Katzker. With me, as always, is my brother from the exact same mother, Aaron the Brain. Aaron, what's happening? It's Friday night. Time to time to have a little bit of a drink. Uh, not going out, but, you know, feeling good. Good. Well, I'm glad you're feeling good on a Friday evening. Uh, before we dive in too much to talking about the Miami Dolphins, I do want to take a moment to, again, thank our friends uh, in the band Bad Bruno for our theme song. You can follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Bad Bruno Punk. Brain, we're two games into the Miami Dolphins preseason, but before we really dive into that preseason game, we kind of need to talk about the Dolphins. You know, I named, we we called the last show the injury bug, and the injury bug keeps biting this Miami Dolphins team because not only did they lose Ryan Tannehill, who never really had uh, a, a sturdy ACL, then they lose Raekwon McMillan to an ACL injury uh, on his first play on the field as a Miami Dolphin in a preseason game. And this week in training camp, Tony Lippett, promising cornerback for the Miami Dolphins, goes down for the season with an ACL injury. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, a Miami Dolphins team that is hit hard by the injury bug. And so there's questions going into there were questions going into this game about whether what what the Dolphins looked like at the linebacker position and in the secondary uh and now I know they they weren't luckily they had they had brought in Werner they had they'd shorn done, done a couple of things to shore up the secondary um and they were trying to make some moves to bring in some veterans to look at. They were looking at Mauluga. They were looking at, uh, what's it, Shepard this week. And now Shepard, I think, is signed with the Bears. So he's not going to be able to, you know, play for the Dolphins. What's the deal with Mauluga? What's the deal with his linebacker situation, Brain? Well, both of those guys, I mean, they were there to be signed if the, if the Dolphins chose to do so. They worked them out. They decided not to sign them. So... Uh, I mean, I don't know how much money they wanted. I, I assume it's not too much. Neither guy uh, was in high demand uh, based on the fact that they're still available at this point in the preseason. But uh, I guess the Dolphins just felt like they weren't sold on either of those guys. And they wanted to see what they've got in Mike Hall. They want to see what they've got in Neville Hewitt, in uh, Dion Lacey. Excuse and, me, excuse me. That's the banker, Neville Hewitt. Yeah, the banker. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, through through uh, one preseason game without Raekwon McMillan, I guess two preseason games without Raekwon McMillan because he got hurt so early on in the first one. But uh, in this one with really all eyes on Mike Hull, uh, you know, we were talking about it before off air and you said, well, he was – unremarkable he was fine and yeah I think that's pretty much the way to put it is he was fine but he was unremarkable and really you're only talking about a handful of series I think I think maybe two or three series that he was on the field as the middle linebacker flanked by uh Kiko Alonso and Lawrence Timmons well that's the thing he was he was unremarkable and he was fine but then 
when you put him up against the guys that came in after he left the game, he was tremendous. Well, I don't really think that he was tremendous. I actually was thinking the other way. I I thought that, yeah, he was more active around the ball uh, when Timmons and Alonzo came out, came out, but when he was playing alongside, uh, you know, Chase Allen and Deion Lacey and the rest of these nobodies, uh, that's when Baltimore really had their success moving the ball. And it was all, it was all the linebackers because it was all, uh, you know, the, the, the linebackers failing to make tackles in the running game, failing to get to the edge. Uh, it was uh, tight ends and receivers coming across the middle where the linebackers weren't able to make the plays. When you look at the way the defensive line played, and honestly, I, I thought the defensive line, both the first team and the second team, probably about, you could probably go seven or eight deep. I thought the defensive line played really well. They I were mean, terrific. I think I think the defensive line is probably hands down the strongest unit on this Dolphins team. I mean, you could you could you say the wide receivers are up there, but I mean the wide receivers are dependent on a quarterback, and the quarterback you know will and we'll, which we'll get to in a minute. But the quarterback situation is sort of up in the air at the moment. So I think right now you could say pretty solidly the Dolphins' D line is the strength of the team. Yeah, and they looked really good. Uh, you know, Sue had a nice game. Godshaw looked nice again. Uh, William Hayes has been a really nice find for this team, and he looks like he's going to really be an asset on on one of the ends, the end opposite Cameron Wake. Uh, Charles Harris got in there. He looked all right. Uh, Jordan Phillips had a very nice bounce-back game. Uh, you know, you're looking for consistency out of him. He looked really good in the time that he was out there. And Vincent Taylor, a sixth round pick at defensive t- at defensive tackle, he had a very nice game. So that you know, your defensive tackles played well, your ends played well, your corners played well. Byron Maxwell uh, looked very good, making tackles, forcing two fumbles. Xavier Howard was covering up his guys all game or, you know, for the time that he was out there, had a nice pick on a, on a deep route where he kind of jumped the route and, you know, showed the, the hands to, to make the big interception. It was fantastic. He looked like Ryan Mallett's intended target on that pass. (laughs) Right. And that says all you need to know about Ryan Mallett, but you know, for years, You know, not so much recently, you know, last year was a very good year. As bad as the defense was, uh, it was a very opportune defense. And for years, the Dolphins were a very inopportune defense in that they'd be a solid defense and they'd have these corners that would be great cover corners, but they would never make the big play. The, The ball would always just bounce off of their hands and they would probably lead the league in deflected passes, but be last in the league in interceptions. And... You know, that wasn't the case last year. And Xavier Howard, look, he he made a nice play on the ball. It's it's important to be able to, to make the plays that when they come available, to 
to have, you know, a play like that happens on first and 10 to be able to, to turn that ball over right away and not give the offense another chance, you know, so that they have two more downs and, you know, that ends up being just a forgotten incomplete pass. Yeah. But you turn that into an interception, all of a sudden you've given your offense great field position. You've put the opposing defense on their heels because they just got off the field and now they've got to come back on and you've totally shifted the momentum of the game. Cordray tankersley made a big play that, you know, maybe it could have gone either way. Maybe it wasn't an interception. Maybe it was. But at the end of the day, you know, the receiver didn't catch the ball cleanly. He rips it out. He gets credit for an interception. So big game for him. Alteron Von Werner had, had a nice little game in the slot. So what are we getting at here? The corners played well. You know, the secondary played well. The defensive line played well. But in the second half of the game, Baltimore pretty much went up and down the field. So how did they do it? They did it because they exposed the Miami Dolphins linebackers, and it is clearly the weakness on this team. I think it's still something that has to be uh, looked at and probably – fixed in some way um it's just a matter of how do you do it because yeah look uh you could say well mike hill mike hall was fine he was unremarkable but he was fine and if you get 16 games out of lawrence timmons and you get 16 games out of kiko alonzo and you get 16 games out of mike hall you might be able to sneak by as having an average linebacking core but the odds of them having 16 games from all three of those guys, I mean, hell, we've already lost two linebackers and we're two two weeks into the preseason and we've lost yeah. two linebackers for the year. Yeah. So they've got to get some depth there. They may need to explore something in a trade. The, I think obviously the prudent thing to do is to wait another week, uh, reassess what you have, see if they can't get better and also you'll have a lot of cuts coming in the next week or so uh and maybe there will be somebody uh a little bit better so that Mike Hall can you know go back to a, a role that I think he's more suited to be in which would be the backup role uh or maybe there are just some guys that that we can get to to fill in the depth chart because it was really bad. Uh, once, it was once, very bad. Once, once <laughs> the starting linebackers came out of the game, yeah. uh, it was just a totally different, different vibe. Yeah, I mean, and I, I even felt it a little bit when when the starters were still in there. I think you're talking about a Miami Dolphins defense that's going to give up a lot of points this season, um, and that's going to be, I think, the thing that is going to be the difference between this being a Dolphins team that can maybe make a push for the playoffs and a Dolphins team that, you know, falls short. I think that one of the big things is going to be whether or not that defense can hold together and, and find a way to stop teams from scoring so much. Why? And, and all of that happening while Jay Cutler is still trying to find his footing with this Dolphins offense. I think that's, that's going to be, the other question mark. Speaking of Jay Cutler, I guess we should probably talk about his first appearance as a quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. Played two series. He went three of six for 24 yards. Um, the stats are 
pretty underwhelming, but I think the stats don't really tell the story of of how well he played. I mean, look, you, you don't want to go crazy. You know, he didn't he wasn't football Jesus or anything like that, but I mean he looked he looked like a very competent NFL quarterback. He knew what he was doing. He we saw his pocket presence. Um, we saw him on that on the uh, a beautiful connection for 31 yards to Devonte Parker was probably the highlight. Although the play was called back because of a holding on Sam Young, who uh, you know did a number on himself. I would say this week uh, did not do himself any favors, getting called for two holding penalties on that opening drive. Uh, but I thought Cutler looked good. I thought he looked. You know, he looked like a competent quarterback. He's got the arm strength there. There didn't seem to be any negative signs from, you know, his summer of being retired, if that's what you want to call it. Um, you know, I so I thought he was all right. What about you, Brian? What would you think of Jay Cutler's first appearance as a Dolphin? I thought, all things considered, considering he's been in camp for two weeks So he's still really getting to know these players. Uh, He was retired up until two weeks ago. I thought he looked great. Um, And look, you mentioned the the 31-yard pass. How about the fact that it was a back shoulder throw? Uh, Not a throw that that Ryan Tannehill has made a lot of uh, in in his short career with the Dolphins. The kind of throw where a guy is covered... But you, the quarterback puts the ball in a spot where only that receiver can get it. And him and Parker already on the same page to make that connection. Look, the play gets called back. But that's look, that's not what we're focusing on in the preseason. And, and we will get to that because it was an issue uh, with the first team offense, the penalties in general. But speaking of Cutler, uh, on that play, not just a back shoulder throw, but – uh, the pressure comes from the outside. He steps up in the pocket, oh, moves in the pocket, keeps his eyes downfield, and delivers the perfect throw. I mean, let, you, what more can you ask for? It's amazing. It's amazing. So, listen, it's no, it doesn't take a football genius to know that Ryan Tannehill does not have the greatest pocket presence. He, he's not the greatest at sensing press pressure. And that's like why, you know, the Ryan Tannehill late game sh- uh, strip sack, you know, became such a thing. Right. Although, although I, I think we should be fair and, and mention that look over the last half of last season. Yes. And he was playing his best football. Yes. He was showing improvement in that area. So we, look, I don't want to dump on Ryan Tannehill no, no, and I'm no. certainly no, not. No, no. What well, I'm, and I'm yeah, and I'm certainly not going to go the route of saying that Cutler is better than Tannehill after two series in a preseason. I'm, I'm certainly not saying that. I'm certainly not saying that. I'm just saying that it was great to see that it was it was fantastic to see Jay Cutler showing that awareness and that ability to step up and and make that play without really there wasn't a lot of rust you know there wasn't a lot of rust there and i think there are certain aspects of cutler's game that are i'm not going to say that 
Cutler is necessarily a better all-around quarterback than Ryan Tannehill, but there are certainly things that Cutler is better at than Ryan Tannehill. And one of those is playing in the pocket. Well, and I would also say it's arguable. And look, I'm not saying he's a better all-around quarterback than Tannehill, but I'm not I'm not saying that that's not the case either. I think we've got to let this thing play out. Oh, of course. Uh, but one thing that you have to come away impressed with, aside from just what he did physically, is how about working the no huddle offense? Yes, which is awesome. It, uh, you know, coming up to the line. I, one of the biggest criticisms of Ryan Tannehill, um, and it, it is not all Ryan Tannehill's fault. A lot of it had to do with the coaching staff that was here before Adam Gase. But one of the biggest criticisms of Ryan Tannehill over his career has been his failure to diagnose what is happening at the line of scrimmage, to audible out of plays, to really command uh, the offense in a way that would allow him to to make such changes at the line of scrimmage, to call plays at the line, to to run a no-huddle offense, to keep the defense on their heels. And the fact that Jay Cutler comes out two weeks into camp, clearly he knows the system. Clearly, uh, from as far as a learning curve, there really isn't much of one. And at this point, it's just the timing with the receivers and it looks like him and Parker already have a com, uh, you know, a, that looks like a great combination yes. in the works. And I would say this, it might not just be Jay Cutler. It might just be Devonte Parker and it might be Adam Gase. And it might be that this offense is going to feature Devontae Parker this year if Devontae Parker gets healthy because I don't have the numbers in front of me, but including the plays that got called back, I want to say when Cutler and Matt Moore were on the field at quarterback, I believe they threw maybe combined 10, 11 throws, and I feel like at least six of them went Parker's way. Yeah. And and so it was it was clear that he was being targeted. He got targeted almost exclusively by Cutler. I think yep. Cutler, look, he completed a, a little screen pass to to uh to Landry. He completed what was essentially a screen pass to Ajayi and I think every other throw went went Parker's way. Yeah. Well, I think it's an interesting thing because when you look at Ryan Tannehill, he had a rapport built up with Jarvis Landry. Um, and, you know, and one of the things last season that some people were upset about is that Tannehill was doing a lot of checking down and ending up connecting with Landry. But he had that sort of that bond, that rapport with Jarvis Landry that he'd never really, well, towards the end of the, towards the end of his season last year, Tannehill was finally starting to develop that chemistry with Devontae Parker. But here you have Jay Cutler coming in and he's immediately connecting with Devontae Parker. As Cutler said today, he, he compares Devontae Parker to a, a faster Alshon Jeffrey. And Which look out! That's NFL a hell of a compliment. That, yeah, that's if, terrifying. If he puts it together, 
I mean, that's that's who he was billed to be. I mean, right. he's the, got the size of Alshon Jeffrey, but the guy runs a four four. I mean, look, you you watch him and you see a couple of the plays, and you don't need to be some scout or some football savant to know this guy has a world of talent. It's just a matter of him putting it together on a consistent basis, staying healthy and doing the things to be a consistent pro week in and week out. Well, and and he does it. If he does it, I mean, the sky is the limit for this guy. There's a reason that the dolphins took him, what he was, what the number eight pick a couple of years ago. Yeah. Something it was in that ballpark. It's on, but yeah, so it's fantastic to see Cutler already developing that chemistry with Devontae Parker. And that's another one of those bright spots where you've got to think, okay, this is this is a good sign for the Dolphins. So I, I think that was good. The offensive line continues to be a big question mark. Um, again, but a lot of starters not in this week. So again, it's this is a situation where the Dolphins are looking to try to develop some depth on the offensive line and sort of failing to do that. So it's going to be a situation where maybe they need to just, uh, they got to hope that they can stay healthy this year with those starters and that those starters can deliver. Um, but otherwise, I think it was a lot of positive signs on the offensive side of the ball. Sonoris Perry, um, well, before he fumbled that uh, on a kickoff return, Put in some good work. Looked good on his first kickoff return. Looked good on that on that uh, touchdown drive. He put in some serious work there, and uh, you know, reminded a lot of people of Ricky Williams the way he just sort of put his head down and ran. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know that he's going to be able to do enough to make the team because I, his blocking ability seems to be a little suspect. And uh, if he's not going to be able to block, I don't know that he's going to be able to work himself ahead of Damian Williams, but it was certainly nice to see a guy like Sonoris Perry working hard and taking advantage of the opportunity that he had to shine uh, in the first half of that game against the Baltimore Ravens. A game, if I haven't mentioned it yet, the Dolphins lost 31 to seven, not that results are particularly important in the preseason, but when you talk about the preseason and you talk about games that you can read something into, that's the next game coming up. That's that all-important third preseason game. The Dolphins are heading to Philadelphia to take on the Eagles next week, and they're going to be doing a couple of practices with the Eagles, and then we're going to have that big game Thursday night, which is, I think, when we're going to really have an opportunity to take a, a hard look at this Dolphins starting unit and try to get a sense of where this team is as they head into the regular season ahead of their September 10th opening game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, Brain, what are the big things that, I mean, I think we've talked about it. We talked about the offensive line. We've talked about the linebackers. Is there anything else that we need to be looking at as we move into this third preseason game against the Philadelphia Eagles next week? Well, I just want to just continue to talk about the offensive line because I don't think we really covered it in depth um, and we don't need to get too far into it. But basically, 
look, was it a rough day for the offensive line? At least the the starter. I mean, really in general, because the the starters did a better job than the backups in the second half of the game. The Dolphins' offensive line was was dreadful, and they couldn't get anything going behind that offensive line. And with uh, whether it was David Fales or Brown Brandon Dowdy, I mean, they they got literally nothing going in the second half offensively. Uh, but it should be noted that again, you know, Mike Pouncey didn't play. Uh, Juwan James didn't play. Uh, and that's, that's 40% of your starting offensive line, uh, right there. And there is a good chance. I, I'm almost positive barring a setback that James will play in the third preseason game. Pouncey would like to play. That's the news that we're hearing from camp is that I would like to have a million dollars. Well, Pouncey would like to play. Pouncey is ready to play. It's just a matter of whether Adam Gase will let him play in a meaningless game. But I think with the way the offense, you know, failed to get a rhythm going and this next week being, you know, the dress rehearsal, that third preseason game, I think you got to see, uh, if they're healthy, look, obviously you're not putting anybody out there with any kind of injury risk. Uh, if, if they're of any importance, if, if Mike Pouncey is not a hundred percent, you don't put him out there just plain and simple. But if he's a hundred percent, if he's good to go, if you're saying, look, if the season started, uh, the, then he would be practicing all week and he would be in there without any question, wouldn't even be listed on the, on the injury report then you got to put Pouncey out there. You got to see you got to get some continuity going with this offense before we hit week 1 uh against the Bucks. So hopefully uh they will we will see a a fully healthy Dolphins offensive line. Of course Ted Larson won't be there. He's going to miss significant time, but Craig Urban Craig Urbic didn't play in this one either. Uh, so we saw a lot of Isaac Asiata, the fifth round pick from Utah. He had a really rough game. Um, so really it was 60% of the starting offensive line that didn't play. So really hard to gauge uh, the offensive line's play in either of these first two preseason games. Because not only you know, are you missing a lot of talent off of the offensive line, but you're also, look, you're, you're talking about guys that haven't really played together. And you hear all the time from people that have played the game, from people who have covered the game for a really long time, what matters sometimes even more than having a talented offensive line is having an offensive line that has played together for some amount of time. And they know uh, each other's strengths and weaknesses. They know when the other guy is going to, if you're a guard, you know when that tackle is going to need help on the inside or whether... Uh, he's going to get that inside so you can go and help the center next to you. You know, that communication, that just sixth sense of knowing your teammate gelling together, so important for an offensive line. And when you're really just shifting parts and putting in band-aids, especially when it's lesser talent uh, that you're doing it with, uh, it's just really hard to get any kind of quality from that unit. Uh, so outside of that, and you did mention Sonoris Perry. He's a guy that I wanted to talk about a little bit. I thought he looked really good. Now, the question 
As far as whether he's going to make this team, I I agree with you. I think he's going to be very hard for him to supplant Damian Williams, especially if uh, the plan for him doing so is returning kicks and then he muffs a kickoff. Uh, That's not the way to get onto the special teams unit, which I think is something that he would need to do if he's going to make this team. So that was really tough, even though he looked good running the football. The question that I have, because he's clearly, to me, past Storm Johnson on, on the depth chart to where he's the number four guy. The question to me is whether or not the Dolphins are going to keep four running backs. And, you know, again, and again, if they keep four running backs, there's no guarantee that the fourth running back is necessarily somebody that's on the roster currently. It could be somebody that is a free agent right now. It could be somebody that gets cut. So we don't know. He certainly. No, I think it's. I think it's more likely the Dolphins have a sixth receiver on the roster than a fourth running back. And there's the other thing to get into. I thought Malcolm Lewis uh, from the U, uh, a guy who hasn't been healthy. Uh, in the in training camp, but got onto the field and made a couple of catches. To me, he was kind of the the front runner to to be that sixth receiver. And uh, then he suffered an injury in training camp, and that kind of you know kind of buried him on the, on the depth chart. You had the big play from Stringfellow in the first preseason game. I thought Stringfellow, look, he had a nice catch. He's got the NFL size. He's clearly got the speed. He does have his character issues in his past. But to me, he had another opportunity in this game to really, really cement a spot. Um, I believe it was in the third quarter. It might have been early fourth. He was going on a deep route down uh, down the sideline and... Uh, I want to say it was fails at quarterback, threw it up there, and it looked like he gave up on it. And that's just something. Look, if you're trying to make the roster, <laughs> you're in a position battle. You're right there as one of the last like five or six guys trying to make the team. You got to see effort every play. And uh, to me, that was when I saw that, I said, all right, this is a guy who made a big play in week one of the preseason. And probably we will never hear from again possibly but we'll, we'll see what happens it's i mean the guy's got talent the guy's got talent well but- and he's he's also going to be the beneficiary of the fact that there's no gradual cuts this season that all of the cuts are happening at once at the end of at the end of the preseason well i don't think that he would be because again we're talking about a guy that is talented that yeah, he's a has good the size and he's he's flashed the big playability. So I don't think that he would necessarily be one of those guys that gets cut. But I think that he hurt himself in a situation where he could have clearly put himself as the front runner for that yeah. sixth receiver. Yeah. And now I think you look at Malcolm Lewis, Drew Morgan, and Stringfellow, and I think they're all on equal footing from here on out if not Malcolm Lewis ahead, because Malcolm Lewis was the guy that I, you know, he was a practice squad guy last year. Uh, I think that's the guy that they would like to take the job. Yeah, well, it's going to be, they've got two more weeks to duke it out. So he'll have, op- he'll have other opportunities, I would think, 
to try to to try to get ahead um, as this preseason rolls on. Uh, so, Brain, any thoughts on this game against Philadelphia? I mean, we've we've kind of gone a little bit long here, so uh, want to get your thoughts real quick on this Eagles game upcoming, and then we'll we'll hit up some this week in Dolphins history, and uh, that'll that'll wrap us up for the week. I think first and foremost, you want to see. You want to see the starters out there. You want to see the guys that you plan on going into the season with. Uh, you want to see them out on the field. Uh, you want to see Pouncey. You want to see Juwan James. It was really good to see Jay Ajayi out there. It's good to see Cutler out there. So you want to see these guys as a full unit, and you're going to get a chance to see them for a full half. And so that will be exciting. Other than that, you got to clean up the penalties. It was a very, very sloppy a uh, couple of possessions with the first unit out Talk there. Talk about same old Dolphins. That was some same old Dolphins. Every time there's a big play, it's brought back because of a penalty. Yeah, <laughs> and and every time you you started to kind of feel like, oh, we're get we're getting into rhythm. We're starting to to drive down the field. Ah, oh, ten yard penalty, five yard penalty. Same old Dolphins. Uh, so you, you want to see them clean that up. They've got to tighten that up. And and other than that. Look, you want to see the continued development of these young players on the D-line, these young players in the secondary, uh, and you you got to see what happens with the linebackers uh, because, to me, that is the hole on the defensive side um, and really on the entire roster because, look, lip, losing Lippitt hurts the secondary, but if there was one spot on this team where they actually had a lot of depth coming into the season, I felt like that was the secondary. So, you know, the fact that they had signed Alteron Werner just a couple of weeks before, um, look, you you feel a lot worse about the situation than you did a week ago, but you still – I think feel pretty good about what you've got there in the secondary uh, with, with your corners and Howard and uh, Maxwell and Verner, and you're going to have Rashad Jones. And uh, you've got, uh, you know, after you know, the, the first half of the season, you'll have TJ McDonald and, and Michael Thomas has shown that he's a, a suitable replacement, a serviceable guy that you can put at free safety. I think they're fine there. You just got to find some way to get some quality play out of the middle linebacker position because that is just a gaping hole in this defense. But to to be perfectly honest, um, you know, we talk about, well, this is going to be, maybe this is going to be a defense that gives up a lot of points. This was a defense that gave up a lot of points last year. And this team went 10 and 6. And they look like they are better and deeper on the D-line and better and deeper in the secondary. So if their linebackers suck, it's not really any different than it was last year. But if you could clean it up, you might have the chance to be a good defense. And if you can be a good defense, I think you could have a playoff team. Especially in an AFC that is not a particularly powerful conference. But, uh, well, we're going to look forward to that game against the Eagles. It's always the highlight of the preseason game three. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and that takes us to this week in Dolphins history. Now, the first two that we've done took us back uh, quite some time. We went back to the inaugural Dolphins season for the first episode. Last week, we went back to 1972, the perfect season. 
This week, we're not going back so far. This week, we're only going back five years to 2012. Brain, do you have any idea what happened this week in 2012 in Dolphins history? So we're talking 2012. That's that's what? Philbin's first year? Yes, I believe that's correct. Um, I'm... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. You tell me. You tell me. Well, shortly after he was arrested in a domestic battery case involving oh, his wife, geez. the Miami Dolphins. No, the Miami Dolphins terminated the contract of Chad Johnson. Oh, right, right, right. Johnson was coming off um, a, a pretty underwhelming season with the New England Patriots in 2011, and. Um, I, I think this was one of the things that was pretty exciting about, you know, for the Dolphins. Oh, Chad Johnson is in camp. He's an entertaining guy. Um, but, you know, it was a problem. I think even before the arrest, there was a sort of a culture thing because you were dealing with the Dolphins head coach, Joe Philbin, who is, I, I always called him the sort of the Danny Tanner of the NFL. He was just... He was just this very, uh, you know, straight and narrow sort of, you know. Gave a lot of dad talks. Clean, Yeah, he, he never really got super hyped up. He never really got a lot of emotion out of him. He was always pretty level-headed. He was always Loved very hug. calm. He always wanted to end everything with a hug. Uh, you know, it is, in his halftime speeches to the team, really emotional, cheesy music would swell over the speakers in the locker room. Uh, sure did keep the locker room spick and span. Yes, it was it was a very clean place, very clean locker room. But I think that, you know, I think that Philbin and, and Johnson just never really meshed together. Um, and, and, and Philbin sort of said, I think he, Philbin even sort of addressed that. Um, he said that the, that Johnson just really didn't fit with the team. And, uh, you know, that was the season that the Dolphins were on hard knocks. So we got to see... That uh, conversation between Philbin and Chad Johnson uh, on the show. So anyway, and we should have known. We should have known at the time what kind of coach uh, Joe Philbin would be because Chad Johnson was not the first guy that he would let go for being a strong personality. And that's not to say that he shouldn't have let go of Chad Johnson. That was look, he was a guy that was at the end of his career. Uh, and he, his best days were behind him. And I don't even think he got picked up by anybody after that. But uh, Joe Philbin was also instrumental in trading away Brandon Marshall because of some off-field uh, some off-field uh, allegations that he ended up being cleared of. And so we got I, – I believe we traded him for a third-round pick, which was a terrible trade, which set the wide receiver core back uh, – really about four years, uh, which did not help the development of a young Ryan Tannehill. Uh, he got rid of Carlos Dansby, who is a very good middle linebacker for this team. Uh, he got rid of, I mean, Vontae Davis, who has turned out to be one of the better corners in the league because he was an outspoken guy. Uh, basically anybody that had a strong personality in the locker room, anybody that was on the, the team, the player formed player led leadership coalition ended up being 
traded or released or not re-signed. And basically, Joe Philbin let it be known that, uh, you know, it was going to be, you know, he didn't want these kinds of personalities in the locker room. And so what happened when all of those guys in the leadership council, all of those those strong personalities that he let go, what happened when they left? Richie Incognito became the leader of the Dolphins locker room. And how'd that one end up? Yeah, not good. So that's this week in Dolphins history. Uh, We'll be back next week with uh, a look back on that big, all-important third preseason game and another episode, another, uh, I guess, another fantastic moment in Miami Dolphins history. So, Brian, why don't you tell the people where they can find you? can find me on Twitter at Aaron the Brain. And you can find me on Twitter. Follow me at Amplified to Rock. Also follow the show at Same Old Dolphins. That's two Ds. Same Old Dolphins. All one word on Twitter. Uh, and you can subscribe to the, uh, to the podcast on iTunes. Follow us on SoundCloud. Leave us a review on iTunes, uh, particularly if it's a five-star review. We'd really like that. Really, please, if you can take the time to do that, it really does help us uh, a lot. helps us reach... Other Miami Dolphin fans, which is what we want to do. We want to create a network of Miami Dolphin fans who all like to get together and talk about the Dolphins and interact and network together. And uh, hopefully, as the season rolls on, we'll be able to get some of your interactions with us here on the program. But that is going to wrap us up for this week. So for Aaron the Brain, this is Josh Katzker. This is the Same Old Dolphins Show, and we'll see you again next week. Bye-bye, everybody.